Greetings and thank you for listening to My Awakening Podcast, created to help us all become better citizens in a more diverse America. My name is Joe and I will be your host. In 2012, when I heard about the killing of Trayvon Martin, something shifted that no longer allowed me to disregard the many social justice issues that I heard on the news. Some new relationships and extensive reading and research since then has led to creating this podcast, allowing me to share this ongoing journey with you. Since announcing this podcast, there has been several recent tragic events further highlighting the deep racial divide that still exists in our country. Until we all join the outrage for this ongoing racial injustice, real change is not likely to happen. But if we work together, we can make the major systemic changes that are needed. My wife recently reminded me that I can't fix these long-standing problems, but I can help by shedding light on them. Bridging this racial divide will require all of us moving past our discomfort with talking about race and truly listening to understand what is happening around us. My initial guests will be sharing their journey as black Americans in a majority white society. Will you join with me in listening to their stories and concerns for America's future. Thank you for being with us today as we explore how to move America closer towards justice for all. In advance of episode four, I would like to share a couple things about this podcast. I need to restate that my awakening podcast is primarily my sharing with you my personal journey of awakening to racism in all its forms that is happening all around us. To share a very personal experience with you, I have invited our youngest daughter, Jamie, to be my guest on this week's episode. You see, my wife Rita and I have four children. Our two oldest are biological and look like us, and our younger two children were adopted from India as infants, and they are brown. Words cannot adequately convey the true blessings that our entire family has experienced through having some diversity right in our own home. But to be honest, what Rita and I thought was mostly great in our home didn't translate fully when our two brown children began interacting with the world on their own, at school and elsewhere. The problem was that Rita and I did not really grasp what our brown children were experiencing out in the world away from our home bubble. Truthfully, we are still discovering more today about what we missed, and Tim and Jamie, our two youngest children, are now 37 and 34 years old. As white, less aware parents, we didn't recognize then that the world saw our two youngest brown children differently than our two older white children. 
we were actually colorblind with our own two brown children rather than fully engaging what being brown was going to mean for them as they became adults. We have come to discover that being colorblind was our white, less aware approach to how we viewed our family. We love all our kids very much, and we are really proud of who each have become as adults. In episode 4, Jamie will be sharing some of her lived experiences and challenges in navigating a mostly white society as a brown girl that was raised by white parents. I know that she will bring some thought-provoking and heartfelt insight to being adopted, being brown, and now being a mother of three with her own family. I am excited to share this important and ongoing piece of our family journey. I'm really excited to uh, have my daughter Jamie join us today as our guest here on this podcast. And um, she, I know, will be sharing some interesting things with us. And maybe Dad will even hear some things that he hasn't heard before. That would be really cool. (laughs) So uh, I want to introduce my daughter Jamie. Hi, I'm Jamie. Um, I have three kids two biological and one adopted. Um, I'm kind of just a stay-at-home mom right now, investing in my kids' lives slash helping my husband run his business and work at a preschool. So I don't know. I dabble in a lot of things. So, um, But I'm really excited to share our family story and for you to kind of get to know my, my dad a little bit more from a different perspective to see why this topic's important to him and how it's affected our our family and our growth and learning. Because part of this whole thing is everyone is learning and growing and wanting to get to know how they can contribute. So um, I think a good place to start is that I was adopted as a baby. So seven months old is when I came from India. Mom and dad... And my brothers and sisters came and got me from the airport and brought me home. Um, Life at home was just happy and fun. And we felt like a part of the family, even at church and our community accepted us. There was, it was just love and fun. And um, like we were always supposed to be a part of this family. There's no question in how we are raised or treated or um, anything, really. I, we just had a really good childhood. I I think things began to change the older I got and the more independent I got, the less I was at my parents' side and started to venture out and make my own friends and choices. And I think growing up, I would get a couple comments about not looking like my mom um, which we always just took it as a special thing. It wasn't a negative thing. I, they taught me to look at who I am as such a beautiful thing. They, my, my parents and my family always loved my, my skin color and loved who I was. And I was, I think adored for that. So I never looked at it as a negative. Um, even when I was little, those comments never got to me because I think, my mom would intervene or make it a, a good moment, even though it was a negative maybe at that time. You recall somebody 
making a comment to you, either at school or wherever, the first time you remember that it struck you uh, specifically about being that being brown was was going to be different outside of our home. I we would be like at a grocery store or something, and a lot of people would come up and ask questions about. And I'm not sure if this was race. I well, it was race race related because we were a different color. But they're trying to figure out the dynamic of our family a lot of the time. And so people would ask really invasive questions, like detective work, like that was okay to do. And it made us feel different than the other kids because they weren't being questioned why they were a part of this family. So can you describe what is, what do you remember about that detective work as you put I it? I remember good, some, good comment. someone coming up and being like, well, how did you get a brown baby? And... Why Why would you do that? And mom being like, because they're put on our heart and they're part of our family. Well, so you adopted him. So you're getting a tax break. That's why you did it? Like, I didn't know what that meant. And why were they asking these questions? It was kind of interesting. And then I remember someone at school, it was actually, I think, a counselor asked if we were being treated differently at home if I was being treated differently. And I thought, no, why are you pulling me into us? And I think that was third grade. Well, I don't remember that. And I, I don't thought, remember you sharing that. This is so odd. Why would I be treated differently? And why are they asking me that? But again, that was in the 90s. There wasn't tons of families that were adopting. Well, there was, but just not as many in our area that we we're all together in a community. So we were raised in a little town in Tacoma, and I think we we're kind of a different group in that sense. So they were asked if we were treated, if I felt like I was treated differently. I thought that was odd. I never came home and said anything because I just brushed it off. I was a kid, so it didn't affect me because I wasn't treated differently. So it wasn't anything to me. It was just a weird comment. But... We got comments a lot like that throughout growing up that I just took it as people being curious. I didn't realize that people were actually maybe judging how our family dynamic was until I got older. Um, I think another time, which is interesting because when you're in this dynamic, I think you get a lot of opinions from all different cultures. And I remember an East Indian woman approaching me, and it was kind of summertime, and my complexion gets a lot darker than in the winter. I vary in color. And she was very upset that I was as dark as I was. And I had never heard that before. Like, at my home, my dad and I had a who-can-get-tan-more contest, and we... They loved my skin. like. Well, of course, you always won. Yeah, of course, because I had a little bit of a lead. <laughs> but So that was another thing that I'm like, what is this person talking about? And so once things happened enough, then you start reaching out to, to different friends that aren't your white friends 
to ask questions. And so I was starting to learn more from asking my friends what's going on. And I began to realize, one, I grew up, grew up in a very white privileged atmosphere. I happen to not be white, but I got all the privileges of being white. When I stepped out away from my family in the sense that they weren't around me or I wasn't in public with them, I became a different person to society. And I didn't know that and I didn't realize that until I started to talk to people and started to feel it. But it took years until I could come home and have that conversation with my parents. Well, we went to a private school in Tacoma, but there was other kids of ethnicity there. And so I would reach out to the couple others that were there. But then I kind of started going and hanging out with public school kids and tried to feel out which group I could fit into. I think I hung out with like black girls trying to fit in and Hispanic girls and Asian girls and I just couldn't find my group. I didn't fit in yet. So, but each one had their own opinion of my lifestyle and how I grew up and what that appears to them. So I learned a lot reaching out, which was hard but good because then I could understand why it was viewed a certain way. Was that going on in um, in grade school or after you went to Probably private middle school? school, private school, because then I was even more in a smaller box there. Because you started there in sixth grade, if I remember right. Right. So it was maybe that time going forward then that really that yeah. you started uh, sort of testing out the waters with other ethnicities and sort of trying to find your way. Right. Um, and then I think it was eighth grade. Was it eighth grade summer going into ninth grade? Um, my best friend and I did a mission trip to with a local church, the church she grew up in. They had a big youth group, and we were really involved in youth group together, and we pretty much did everything together. Um, and they chose to do a big mission trip to Mississippi. And so we signed up, wanted to go together. And um, I'd never been to the South, neither had she. And we were working down there to rebuild homes and fix up things. <clears throat> and when we got there, we had to get, it was a most, the majority of kids that went, I believe were mostly white, but we were kind of split up in groups. So there was me and another Asian girl in my group that was working together. And we we're all mostly private school kids, some public. We went down there to work together and we went to the Walmart there to buy material to work for these projects. And they refused to ring up me and this other girl. And she's happened to be Asian. And, um, and we had no clue why. Her and I were like, we have the money. We're not doing anything. All of our stuff is here because the in the Pacific Northwest, you don't get this as much. So we never were, had, a, neither of us had experienced this. Um, that's the perk of growing up here is it's not so apparent. It's more underlined, which is also scary at the same time because when it's underlined, you don't know how people really feel. But there, it's more in your face and they wouldn't ring us up. So the pastor had to come over 
and ring us up. And he wouldn't really explain to us why that situation happened. And he kind of brushed it off, which, to be fair, I can see why he did, because it's a big topic and interesting to talk about. Um, might have been a, it might have been a learning moment, though, not at the store, but after you left, to have unpacked that a little bit with the group that you were with. Yeah, that's a bold thing for a kid to do, like... No, I mean, I mean your leader. Oh yeah, he could have, and maybe he did. But at that point, I think I was so in the so confused that even if he did, I wasn't sure. Um, so you had merchandise or whatever, right? And both of you were, we were at in this... the line to check out. We happened to be next to each other, and the lady refused to check either of us out. Okay. Um, and so after that, we worked. So in this particular town, and I'm I'm sorry, I can't remember. It was so long ago, I don't even remember the town we were in. But it was definitely split. There's the the upper class white section and then the lower class black section. And we were that's where we were working. And so we had to go to the Walmart on the in the white section to get the material to work in the homes in the black section. And we went over. It was definitely divided. I had never seen that before in my whole life. It's not like that here. And um, one day we were working at this particular home that we were working at had been burnt. And actually a block of homes had been burnt down. And I thought, I remember asking the guy, the pastor, that's odd. Why are these houses all burnt? this section that that doesn't happen a fire doesn't jump so i mean no one came to burn out no firefighters came to put out the first house before it jumped to all of these houses i was just shocked by this it made no sense that wouldn't have happened here um and he goes that's just what happens here that's why we're here to help well i'm i'm still a kid so i'm not really comprehending this why would this just happen yeah so it was really a great experience because we got to go to a white church one and do worship and we got to go to a, a black church and do worship so we got both experiences and the black church was the most lovely experience i can ever remember the way their open arms opened us in they had a whole big meal for us afterwards to try their food and their cuisine. They loved that we were there trying to help. And I um, remember one of the ladies just talking about how great it is that I would come and come with this group and do this. And um, I asked her why no one came to put out the fires. And she said, they don't come here that quickly. It doesn't work that way. And I just was so sad. Yeah. And I think that was the first realization of the still difference that there was. And I remember asking the pastor, I said, well, like that shouldn't be. It's, I think, when did we go? 2000 is probably when we did, did that trip. I said, it's 2000. Like, that shouldn't be like this anymore. That's just crazy to me. That's what you read in books, not now. And he was like, well, we're fortunate. It's not like 
that up in the Pacific Northwest. It won't affect you. And I kind of stuck with that for a while. Like, I'm safe once I get home. Hmm. And I think that's kind of what cultures say to themselves. Well, it's okay. It's not really as bad up here. Right? But it was. And that feeling and that hurt for those people, I mean, the first... It was stuck with me for a long time. And I realized in that moment what side I was on then and how people viewed me. That was a really um, a point of shifting, like you just described, that you actually uh, felt like you belonged in some way. You felt a heart connection to um, to the folks whose houses were burned. And these in the in the black church that you attended, it sounds like the conversation that you had there, maybe. They were just so inviting and loving. And through everything they went through and how they're treated, they no there was no judgment. There was no anything. It was open arms. It was just beautiful. And it wasn't exactly like that on the other side. Hmm. And I just remember that feeling. Yeah. A feeling more safe there. I hear you describe uh, with your own children at times something that would that would hurt your heart. Yeah, and you use that term. It hurts my heart. Yeah, so that I, definitely I feel did. that. I feel that. Yeah, that that hurts your heart, and and you were affected by it. Yeah, and I I don't want to sound so like just because I went to the south now my eyes are opened. I think my eyes were always being opened, but I did live in a bubble a safe bubble with love and protection that that definitely showed me a different side and made me more aware of really what the world looks like for a lot of people do you think you realized when you came home that even your mom and dad didn't really know these things yeah i do because i didn't even know how to explain it it felt uncomfortable and felt like then it was going to make me more different. Mm -hmm. Because I, I don't recall, this might be a good time to bring up because uh, it was about this time frame, if I recall, when you had a really serious conversation with your mom and dad one night in our bathroom at home when we still lived in Fircrest. Do you remember that conversation? No. So I just remember that we were all crying and it was very emotional. And you were basically saying to mom and I that we didn't understand what was going on with you and Tim and your brother and that we needed to get a clue. Yeah. And so I think there was a, there was some awareness in your, in, in you early on that was way before mom and I picked up anything much and uh and that was the beginning and i think it was about that time if i recall uh, i maybe. think i'm i think there's a part of me that was protective of my brother because he is darker male and he i think he he, he may have got a lot more comments thrown at him than i ever did and so i knew it was bugging him so i i finally kind of said something you know yeah. Um, 
I don't know all his all of it because he didn't share much, but I knew it was bugging him. And um... well, I I recall when I think back on it now that I feel like um, God has kind of opened my eyes further, and I'm sort of getting some of this a little bit more deeply in my soul and understanding this difference that you've experienced. Um, even though you brought it to our attention then, I don't remember thinking that this was specifically race-related. That didn't, I don't think that occurred to me. What I, what I remember Mom and I thinking was that we weren't understanding your world as a brown girl and Tim as a brown boy. We weren't understanding your world enough to be able to be helpful to you, both of you, in navigating your lives as younger children and, and growing adults. And I don't think that was something that we really clued into until, honestly, more recently, and with some of the things you've shared with us. So we were kind of late to the late to the game. And I find it really interesting with what's going on in America today to think about that we had two brown children in our home. And even at that, we were, I'll use the term, kind of clueless about what you were experiencing outside of our home. I think I was still pulling it apart, too. So you would be late at the game because it was only a matter of how much I could share. Mm -hmm. So that's... And it took a little bit because I needed to wrap around my head where I fit in and how I felt about it as an individual. Not because I was raised by a great white family, but who I am independently from that. So it took a little bit even for me to share that kind of stuff because you have to figure out where you are in this world. Yeah, I think another time where I felt the hurt of this world against people was um, I was working for a coffee company and the line got really long and I was at the drive through window and this guy came up, pulled up to get his drink and he was livid that it took this long. And mind you, long was like maybe four minutes, five minutes tops. He was in this line, but this particular establishment, you need to get people through faster and that's what they they expect from um how they train us and this this took longer and the guy yelled at me and he called me uh the n-word well sand n-word so sand okay and then he told me to get the out of here you stupid packy wow and I was at my job, at the window, customer service. That was right service. here in Tacoma. Yeah. Customer service is obviously our, our main priority. And I gave the drink to him for free. I didn't know what to do. I had obviously offended this person in some way, but I didn't make the line long. I was just so confused by that um, way of reacting you would have been... Uh, I let's think see, I was 19. High, you were out of high school? Yeah. Okay. Um, 
So that was another side of, well, I, I fit into this box now too. And people are going to look at me like this because after 9-11, a lot of cultures were labeled as something. And I realized I was part of that label too now. Hmm. So it was just an interesting experience to have that happen. Do you think you're still um, processing these things? Yeah, especially with raising your own kids who um, are half East Indian as well, that I have to teach them that people might look at you different. But that those differences are great, and that's what makes us great people and what we can contribute to other people and not to be ashamed about it and to have a voice against it and being prejudged or judged. Um, it, it was a conversation that our home never had to have because we just didn't know. But I think a lot of families out there did have those conversations. So it gave a little bit more backbone to kids that I didn't necessarily get but I'm able to do with my kids. We really appreciate that you are uh, raising your family with that awareness, being a sort of biracial family, I guess, in a sense, because you're married to a, a white man and that you're being purposeful about sharing these kind of things with your kids. I think that just sets them up for knowing how to react to situations like that. Um, knowing that I've been through it so they're not alone and other people have been through it so they're not alone. And I also think we have this great thing that you learn from each generation and the next generation does more with it. Hopefully that's what we're trying to teach our kids. And I, I think it's a lot less that they will be hurt so much by it where we are and where we've grown up and the conversations we've had. But I think they can, the conversations are being talked amongst all families now, not just families that are um, like ours, blended families, or I think all families are starting to have this conversation. And that's the key is right there that everybody's having this conversation. It's not just the families that it's directly affecting, but everybody's. That's one of the things I think that's like kind of exciting about what's going on right now that feels a bit different to me is that we, the co uncomfortable conversations are broadening out. And one of the goals of this podcast is to make uncomfortable conversations with, uh, about racial issues in America, make that more normal and allow people and encourage people to have those kinds of conversations with friends and others um, so that they uh, really have a chance to uh, glean some new perspective. Um, so can you share a little more about what did the adoption piece, what challenging elements did that bring to the table for you? Being adopted, um, you, you don't necessarily come with all knowing of your own culture, right? So I don't exactly know the Indian culture. I would have to research it. There wasn't, um, I didn't have a 
a grandma or someone teaching me about it. And so you kind of don't feel like you have roots. You're not sure where you fit in. Like, I know your history. I know about your grandpa, gram- your dad, your grandparents, where you came from, um, and how you guys got over here and where you established. But when it comes to m- me and where my roots are, that's an unknown um, piece to my to my beginning. And so part of that and finding yourself is reaching out to different cultures and getting to know different ways of life and how people are. And so you you search for that for a while or still just to find connection, just to find a place that feels comfortable. Not that I didn't feel comfortable with our family. I've always been loved by our extended family, family, everybody, and my husband's family, everybody. But there's a piece of you that you still seek to know. And um, I think that was part of reaching out to different friends and being in part of their families and getting to know them was gave me the opportunity to know a lot of different cultures and ways of life, which makes me a balanced in that sense that I can see all sides of things during this time because I've exposed myself to so many different people. I didn't just stay with one group. Um, so it was hard, but I think it's helped me in the long run. Yeah. Be able to see the world in a different way. Well, I would go so far as to say not only did it help you, but it's helped us because you've your attitudes about these things and about um, cross-cultural things and understanding others has helped me certainly, and I think mom as well, to uh, be more uh, open-minded in our thinking. So, um, you know, I really think you've helped us with that and, and probably helped our family in general. I think... Uh, when I really think about it, as I uh, have said, uh, we had diversity built right into our family, but we didn't realize what that meant for you and your brother Tim going out into the world. We just thought it was cool having the diversity in our home, but we didn't really... um, hmm. We didn't didn't take advantage of it, I guess. Well, you didn't... That and you didn't realize that we were always a part of you guys when you when we walked out this door. We were a part of you guys in your mind. You didn't realize that people would look at us yes, differently. That's absolutely true. We we thought of you know your um, your Joe and Rita's daughter, right? And uh, and Tim was Joe and Rita's son, and so we kind of thought, okay, we're we're just this nice family group. And and never and never occurred to us until later. And like I say, I think you kind of opened the door on that for us. That okay, you and Tim would be uh, treated differently outside of our home than our daughter Emily and son Kyle, your brother and sister would be treated because they look like us. And it just never it just never occurred to us. Frankly, we were really. Uh, well, I, I'd use the term colorblind, which is not a good thing, particularly 
um, and certainly wasn't in this case because you were headed for a different, um, uh, you were headed for a world that was going to see you differently, you and Tim differently than they saw your brother and sister, Emily and Kyle. And it just, that just never occurred to us. Right. I think a term a lot of, a lot of our friends and family would have said to us was, well, I just don't see color. You're just like us. Um, and I think my soul was screaming, well, I want you to see my color. I'm not just like you. I'm someone different and I'm proud of it. I don't want to just fit into this. But I think that was the way of people being sympathetic and trying to understand. Right. But they didn't realize that that pushed me down of really who I am. Yes. Um, and I, you know, as a kid, you don't necessarily feel like you could speak up to that. And I didn't want to be disrespectful. And this is the community we were growing up in. And, and they were saying it with the kindest of hearts. They weren't meaning ill intention by that term. And I think a, a lot of my friends still would say that not knowing what that means. Right. I, I used the term because I was trying to think about it when I made this intro yesterday or a couple of days ago. I was trying to think of a, a positive way to say colorblindness, which is uh, not appropriate in a way uh, to say that. And I realized in um, thinking that through that it was a less aware way of your mom and I thinking of our family unit yeah, being colorblind. And and we never thought of that as a negative thing particularly. But again, coming to realize in hearing more stories and paying attention to what's going on in the world that even that is not, that's not a good way to look at things. No, because it's trying to make us adapt to a, a white world. A white world. Yeah. And forgetting that we are who we are. Right. Amen. I, and I, because I grew up in this world, I never knew how, I knew how offensive it was inside of me. I never understood why it was so offensive or how I could explain that until reaching out to different people and asking questions. Maybe share a bit about the challenges of, uh, an adoptee uh, becoming uh, a mother of natural-born children and then also adopting a child yourself. Uh, how has that transition and that process been for you? I'm, I think a lot of parents would say when you have your own kids, there's a lot of self-growth because you see characteristics and fears and strengths of yourself in your children. They our little pieces of you, Tim and I. So each one of them have things that Tim and I, little pieces of Tim and I in them. And we can see like one can be more anxious about this type of thing, whatever. But then when you add in adopting a child that was abandoned like you, you really have to come to grips with this deep down hurt that may never go away, but you have to now speak about it so that they don't feel alone. So something that you might push down to feel normal, 
you can't now. Or you could if you wanted to. I'm choosing not to for the growth of me and my daughter. Mm-hmm. And my boys, they need to see that there is pain out there, but pain can create beauty and growth and can contribute to our family. Because um, she's she's had her own little things that we've had to deal with that has been aggravating for the boys because they would have never gotten away with that. And so it's just a learning process of us knowing that everyone's different and reacts to things different. And as humans, we need to love and um, work with each other. Maybe I'd like to have you share a little bit about how you've uh, struggled, I assume, with what's been going on in our country in the last few weeks and um, how how you felt about those things. Uh, can you say some things about that? Yeah, I think in the last, and I think a lot of people could say this, this situation coming up during quarantine time where we are kind of at a standstill moment, it feels like, um, really gave us an opportunity to have conversations in your home that you wouldn't necessarily have or so deeply where you could share stories that I have now shared with you and my husband that I hadn't shared all these years. And I'm sure that's happened in a lot of homes during this time. Um, I think the thing that's interesting about our family dynamic is that um, a lot of, we have a lot of family that is police officers or or in the law enforcement side. And so we kind of are dealing with all sides of this situation in our home and how we feel about all sides and and where we take a stance and stand on all opinions and where our foundation is as a family. And it's really made us talk about every situation, which has been hard, but good all at the same time. Everybody wants a better world and a better place and an equal place. And I think having those conversations and opening up everybody's eyes instead of what social media does and makes it so negative and one-sided and political. The bottom line is that we all want a safe, great world for our kids and our future to grow up in. And I think this has given homes an opportunity to really have that conversation that you wouldn't necessarily, you turn on the radio, hear it a little bit and go on to your next activity. You're actually stuck at home to have this conversation. Is this America tends to be reactive a lot of the time instead of waiting and stopping and listening. And this time gave us a moment to stop and listen. Um, it was kind of forced on us. Forced, right. And I think it's a great moment in history that we'll look back, that I could have great conversations with my kids and my neighbors. You'd, you'd be surprised how many folks have approached me that to have a conversation about this because I am a brown girl in a white neighborhood and I'm pretty open and friendly and so I, I 
people have, I think they feel like they can trust me and come up and talk to me. And it's given a lot of opportunity that wouldn't normally happen. So you've actually experienced uh, racial conversations that I have, think, have and, never happened before. Oh, yeah. And every outing that I've gone into, I think I've been intentionally invited to have this conversation without me knowing that that was the idea. But yeah. Um, so that's it's just given more conversation. And made me bolder to be able to have that conversation and not feel like I'd offend someone or some side. Because I really come from a place of love and respect for all sides, but there has to be a change in an understanding and conversation. I I just feel like it's like Bible basics. We're supposed to love our neighbor, love our brother and sister. Why wouldn't you want the best for your brother and sister, for your neighbor? The same best that you get in life. The same opportunities that you get. Why wouldn't you want that for the person next to you? And think how great that would be and how much our world would flourish if we all had that. And I think that's something, when you think about that deep down to the heart of it, that's going to change your perspective on where you stand on racism and on this topic because it comes to the heart and the soul of the person next to you. Don't you want them to be successful? Um, and I think if you just go to love and that side of it, it will change your perspective and it's not so negative and it's not so one side against the other side. A year ago, I tried to have a conversation with some of my friends and it just didn't go over well. And now I'm getting phone calls from those friends saying, okay, now what do I do? My eyes have been opened. What do I do? Yeah. How do I have this conversation with my kids? Um, and I don't have the answers. Just because I'm a brown girl doesn't mean I have all the answers. I'm still learning and growing in the right way to speak to people. And I might have said things in the past that were not appropriate as well. We're, we're all guilty of that. But I think the more we have conversation and honesty about that, then there's less shame and guilt and hurt. Well, I want to really thank you, Jamie, for being willing to share with your dad and with our audience. And uh, I know that they will hear some things out of your experiences that may be helpful to them in some way. Yeah. So thank you very much. Thanks, Dad. I love you, honey. Love you, too. My sincere thanks to our daughter, Jamie, for being our guest today and sharing her own very personal journey as a brown East Indian girl raised in our white home. Her particular experience highlights a little more subtle side of racism that was actually happening right in our world, and we didn't even recognize it. I hope this episode brought you some fresh insight that is helpful for your journey in some meaningful way. There are two important first steps you can each make if you really want to become part of the solution that America is crying out for to close our racial divide. First, begin educating yourself about systemic racism and what is really going on with these long-standing racial problems. To assist you with that effort, you can go to the bottom of our website at myawakeningpodcast.com and check out our resources section. 
There are web-linked resources there that have most impacted my journey along the way. Secondly, begin earnestly seeking a true relationship with someone who does not look like you. As challenging as that may sound, I can testify that it will ultimately bring you a fuller understanding of others and great personal joy as well. If hearing Jamie today on My Awakening podcast was meaningful for your journey, we hope you will consider subscribing and sharing it with your friends. We now have an active My Awakening podcast Facebook page where you may go to share comments and thoughts about what you hear on our podcast. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to sharing more thought-provoking content with you in the next week's episode. Please keep listening, and remember that together we can make the systemic changes that are needed to heal America's racial divide and achieve justice for all. Thank you.